All right, good evening, Payson Bible Church. I'm glad you're with us this evening for our Bible study in the book of Acts. We're going to be in Acts chapter 11, so if you have a Bible handy, go ahead and go to that chapter, Acts 11, and uh, plan on going through verse by verse with us. We're going to, Lord willing, cover the first 18 verses of Acts 11 here tonight. And before uh, we get started, I do want to mention to you that um, this coming Thursday night, so just two, two nights from now, on Thursday, April 23rd, we will have our live Q&A e- evening where we will answer your questions about Deuteronomy and Acts and those two lessons on giving that we did here recently, along with announcing some pretty big things. We are going to have a couple of big announcements for you Thursday night, so it's really important that you try to make time to watch that uh, live, because right at the beginning of that, at 7 o'clock on Thursday, we are going to announce uh, some stuff that's really important, and we want you all to know. So Thursday night, 7 o'clock, be there or be triangle. How many thought that was funny? Raise your hand. <laughs> All right. Okay. Uh, we definitely need to pray after that, don't we? So let's go ahead and ask the Lord to guide us in our study tonight. <clears throat> Father, we thank you so much for the time that we have together now digitally, that we can gather around your word in our homes, and that through this we can study together and go along looking at the same stuff uh, together in the same moment. What a blessing. And Lord, we ask that you would. Just pour out your wisdom tonight that we would hear from you and see and understand and be challenged in different ways, that you would sharpen us and that you would cause us to uh, just be nearer to our Savior because of the time that we spend here tonight. Uh, Lord, we ask that you would um, bring us closer together as a body, that though we can't physically be together tonight, that our hearts would be knit together, that we would be each other, be with each other in spirit, as it were, and um, that we would remember to pray for one another also. God, we thank you for the opportunity to study, and uh, do ask your blessing on it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, Tyler, on the, that one slide, the... Um, just before we get in, so that way we don't mess up. On the screen capture one, is the soundboard audio going into that? Uh, on Well, are we confident that the soundboard audio is on all the scenes on OBS? Okay, just wanted to make sure, so that way. Okay, just a little technical jargon. Uh, sorry about that. Okay, well, let's go ahead and get started in Acts 11. I want to recap real briefly what we've been looking at in the past few weeks. Peter just had a really big moment in his life, Um, but before that, if you can remember back to Acts 9, we saw the conversion of Saul, who we know as the Apostle Paul. And he is now a Christian, but he is not with all the apostles. He is um, back, back home, he's up in Tarsus, and we're going to see him arrive on the scene later on. But for now, we, we've focused on Peter, and Peter is experiencing some very interesting things in his life. He's finding out from God Himself that all things are clean to eat, and the Gentiles are now welcomed into the family of God. God used a vision to teach him that. Mark led us through the study the last two weeks where that sheet came down, and there were all kinds of animals on the sheet, and God said, I have... I have cleaned these animals, go kill and eat. Um, 
Peter has been told to go preach to some Gentiles, and he did that, and those Gentiles got saved. So now it's no longer Jewish people who know God, but it's actually Jews and Gentiles together who compose the family of God. And tonight we are going to see three main elements at play. And what I was just saying is the first element that we're going to see that the Jew and Gentile divide has been erased through Christ, through the person and work of Jesus. The second thing we're going to see tonight in the text is that miracles were used by God with purpose at that time. We're going to talk about the place of signs and wonders today based on Acts chapter 11. And the third thing we're going to see, and this is the the most brief point, is that God grants repentance to some people, but not others. And we'll get to that at the end of the study. Pretty big statements here. I imagine that we're all in agreement here on the first one, that the majority of us are in agreement here. And then as we get down here, it gets a little dicey. So we're going to kind of walk through these things together and just see what the text says, because that's the most important thing, isn't it? What does the text say? What has God revealed to us? So the first one we're going to look at is that the Jew and Gentile divide has been overcome through the person and work of Christ. Let's look at verses 1 through 3 of Acts 11. Acts 11, starting with verse 1. Peter, after preaching to those Gentiles and seeing them get saved, it says, Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to the uncircumcised men and ate with them. All right, so Peter comes back to his kindred. Uh, He comes back to guys who are like him, who are Jewish in ethnicity, who have adhered to the Old Testament law their whole lives, but have now believed in Jesus as their Messiah. He comes back to them, and they say, hey, Peter, uh, what were you doing with those people who are dogs, those Gentiles? the uncircumcised. Why were you with all of them? And this is important to understand Peter's audience. Uh, We're getting ready to look at a little speech by Peter. It's not a sermon. He's just going to recount the events that happened here in Acts chapter 11. And his audience that's hearing this are Jewish guys like Peter. But they haven't experienced the same thing Peter has experienced. They didn't see with their own eyes a conversion of Gentiles right before them like Peter did. So these are Jewish men who are thinking through uh, the Old Testament lens. They're thinking through the law. And what does the law say about Gentiles? We've been studying the Torah in Deuteronomy, haven't we? We've been getting into in these last few weeks some very specific laws that the Jews were supposed to adhere to And that would set them apart from all the other people. God said, all those other people, they are are pagans, they are idolaters. They are going to receive all kinds of affliction and diseases because of their sin. Whereas you, Israel, you are set apart from them and you are going to receive blessing so long as you adhere to my commands. That's God's message to Israel. And so, when they see one of their own, Peter, go off and be with the Gentiles, it has just been ingrained in them their whole life to see that and say, that is wrong. But we're going to find out tonight that it's not Peter who needs to change. It's those Jewish men and women and children 
who have all been thinking through the law, they need to change to embrace a new covenant. They need to get out of the old covenant way of thinking and see what God is doing in a new covenant. It's a total worldview shift for Jewish believers. And what we need to do as 21st century American readers of the text, we need to be sympathetic toward them. Because we, we really can't imagine how difficult it would be to be thinking that way your whole life, that old covenant system, to take it so seriously, as they should have. I mean, it, it's serious stuff. We're talking life and death. We're, we're talking blessings and cursings. We can't really imagine how serious they, their life was based on the Torah. So for them to now shift from the old covenant to the new, this is the, the only generation that's ever had to do that. Only one generation was alive during this transition. That had to be incredibly difficult. So let's try to sympathize with Peter's audience here tonight um, and understand that it was a very difficult thing for them to embrace. And there's a place where we can see that in the New Testament uh, because Peter himself, even though he did well in this moment with the Gentiles, he obeyed God, he preached to the Gentiles, he got the Gentiles baptized after their uh, receiving of the Holy Spirit. He did all of that in that moment, and he should have learned a lot and moved on, right? Well, Peter still struggled with this idea that Gentiles could be saved. And I want you to see this in Galatians 2. Keep your finger here in Acts 11, but turn with me forward to the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 2, where Paul, who is in Tarsus at this time in the book of Acts, Paul has this interaction with Peter later on in his life, and I want us to see, starting at verse 11, what he says that Peter did. Galatians 2, verse 11, it says, But when Cephas, or Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew, but when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Peter was sitting down to eat with Gentiles, and he was friendly with Gentiles until the members of the un, or members of the circumcision party came in. These are uh, men who were really, really fired up about the old covenant law and did not understand the new covenant realities of what Jesus was doing. They came in and they intimidated Peter. And so Peter, instead of holding his ground and saying, look, the Lord Jesus has now opened up the gospel to these people, my friends, we're all sitting here eating together. Instead of doing that, he was led astray and, and was carried away by the circumcision party and he embraced false thinking on that. Uh, so not even Peter was perfect in the way that he moved on from this moment. So we, we need to sympathize with them a little bit, understanding that they had to change their thinking. God expected them to do that, but it was very difficult for them to do. So as they questioned Peter back in Acts chapter 11, as they questioned him and said, look, you went and you ate with Gentiles. That was a bad thing for you to do. Well, Peter says this, starting in verse 4. It says, Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. 
Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. So now the message is being repeated uh, of what was declared to Peter that there was a cleansing that had happened. All these animals that Peter looked at and said, uh, I am not allowed to eat those. God says, I have cleansed. Through his messenger, God declares that he cleansed these things. What does it mean for God to cleanse something? Have you wondered that in the text? What does it mean? Well, if you uh, think about it kind of starting at the beginning, um, maybe back in the law, about what it means for something to be dirty or unclean, God said that there are certain things in the world that are an abomination to Him, certain things that are detestable, certain things that are impure. God declares something to be unclean, and so it is. Sometimes that's because of sin, because uh, sin has so affected something or someone has been given over to sin that that person is impure. But other times it's just because God in the law says that's dirty, that's clean and that's not. And there it is. That's just what God declares. And so we embrace that. Um, it, we, we need to recognize that God takes this very seriously in His law. If you can put your mind back to Leviticus 16, that wonderful, amazing chapter that foreshadows the work of Christ, that's all about the Day of Atonement. Do you remember that there were two goats that were brought forward on the Day of Atonement for the sins of Israel? On one goat, all of the sins of the nation of Israel would be placed. That goat would receive all the sins of all the people, and then it becomes sinful. The other goat would be sacrificed. Now, that first goat that received the sins, do you remember what happened to that goat? He wasn't sacrificed there at the tabernacle or at the temple, but instead they would call a man to come get the goat, pick him up, take him out into the woods, and send him away. That's the scapegoat in, uh, in Leviticus 16. Now, when that man who took the goat away, when he returned to the camp, do you remember what he had to do? He had to take off his clothes, bathe, and put fresh clothes on. Why would he have to do that, do you think? It's because God considered that goat to be so impure that if anybody touched it, that person then becomes ceremoniously unclean, and that person needs to be ceremoniously cleansed before that person can come back into fellowship. That's how God would, would reckon things in His law. This is dirty, that is clean, this is unclean, and if you touch it, you become unclean, and then you must be cleansed. That's, uh, that language just kind of permeates the Old Testament law. And with animals, it was the same thing. Certain ones were considered dirty or impure. And God says to Peter in this vision, I've cleansed them. He did the work in cleansing them. They didn't come, become clean in and, of themself, uh, in and of themselves. No man looked at them and said, okay, I'm declaring them all clean now because I want to eat them. But God Himself said, in this new covenant, these things are now clean. Um, it says, Peter reiterates 
what we learned in Acts chapter 10. You know, in Acts 10, it says that uh, this happened to Peter three times where he'd said, no, I'm not going to eat those things. And God says, yes, you are. That happened three times. And Peter makes, makes note of that here in verse 10. He tells his audience, this happened three times and all was drawn up into heaven. Poor Peter. I mean, we, we, we talk about Peter like, man, that guy was just so thick-skulled. He's kind of like a dimwit that Peter was just foot and mouth disease. We kind of is just like Peter, right? Um, we, we think of him that way because we see so many times in the text where Peter is just the one who is being... Uh, there's a little girl looking in the window over there. It's distracting me. We've got bikers in our parking lot, but bicyclists, not like Hell's Angels or anything. Um, it's a little girl, not a bunch of biker guys. So uh, sorry if I'm uh, distracted. Tyler's going to go scare him off. Don't brandish a weapon, Tyler. Uh, so um, what was I saying? Peter. Yeah, Peter would say stuff like I just said that he probably shouldn't say. And uh, we see in Peter's life that there were multiple times when he had to be told things three times. Do you remember in the book of John, at the end of John, when Jesus asked him three times, do you love me? Do you love me? How about before that? Do you remember when uh, Peter said, I won't deny you, and Jesus said, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows? And now with this vision, God said, go, rise, kill and eat. And Peter says, no, three times. And God rebukes him three times. Uh, It just... It's, it emphasizes the seriousness of the point that God was getting something across to Peter that he had to understand and he had to change his way of thinking. And the implications of this first point are huge, um, that God has cleansed the animals and that God has effectively cleansed the Gentiles in the sense that they do not have to adhere to a law to become a part of the family of God. That's the big implication of this. When God cleanses these animals and when God does away with the aspects of that old covenant which were for Israel and He invites the Gentiles to come in, the implication of that is now that Gentiles, to be uh, on good, in good standing with God, they no longer are expected to go through all the Jewish ceremonies. They're no longer expected to uphold all the Jewish calendar. They're no longer expected to do all these things that Jews have had to think about each and every day all of their lives. But instead, God in this new covenant has made it to where they can freely come to Him through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Isn't that an amazing thought? Uh, Tyler, I just heard someone hit, get the door, try to open the door. Let's keep this live. We don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> so, um, so anyway, uh, this is just like major distraction zone. But that, that's, the, that's the first point. Uh, Jew and, the Jew and Gentile divide has been erased through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And those unclean people are now invited into the family of God without becoming Jews. Those unclean Gentiles are now invited to come in and to be a part of the family uh, without becoming Jewish, without adhering to the Old Covenant. They can come with their own ethnicity, with their own cultural stuff, and they can submit it all to the Lordship of Jesus and be on good terms with God because of the work of Jesus. Are we okay, Tyler? You got your mic on there. Are we, we good? Yeah, we're doing good. Just a reminder, we are taking questions on here. We had somebody ask out on Facebook Live. Uh, Dean, in a, a moment of confession, said that he needs 30 times to be hit upside the head. So good for Peter only needing three. Okay, yeah. 
Yes, um, I know the feeling. And aren't we thankful for a patient God who, uh, who does give us multiple opportunities to learn things and who is just so kind to us? So thankful. I want to remind you at this time, like I said at the beginning, Thursday night at 7 p.m., I hope you can all be there right at 7 on Thursday night. We're going to kick off that live Q&A with um, some announcements that you need to hear. So Thursday night, 7 o'clock, put that on your calendar, okay? So that's the first thing we saw through the first 10 verses, that the Jew and Gentile divide has been erased through the person and work of Christ. The second thing I want us to see in verses 11 to 17 is this, miracles were used by God with purpose at that time. And that time would be uh, the age of the apostles, the time we're reading about in the book of Acts, all right? Um, Let's go ahead and look. Let's read all of verses 11 through 17 here in chapter 11 and uh, see what we can learn here. Starting at verse 11, it says, uh, Peter speaking to his audience, Behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning." And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? In this section, we see lots of uh, miraculous things happening. We actually see four. And I want to point those out to you as we, as we walk through. The first thing that is miraculous that happens um, in this story that we see uh, is the, um, the vision that Peter had. Remember, when Peter was telling his audience here what happened, he said that he was in a trance. He was in a trance. He saw a vision and he knew in that vision that the Lord was speaking with him that it was an authoritative messenger bringing God's message to him. So that's exhibit A, something that was miraculous. Exhibit B, verse 11, it says that these men showed up um, to be with Peter. How did they show up? How did they know to go find Peter? Well, it was because an angel went to them. That's miraculous. An angel showed up and told Cornelius, you need to go find Peter. And Cornelius grabbed these two guys and they showed up uh, at, with Peter because there was an angel. That's a miracle. That's supernatural when an angel uh, shows up and tells you to do something. Exhibit C, this is verses 12 through 14. Exhibit C, uh, Peter says that the Holy Spirit spoke to him. It says in verse 12, the Spirit told me to go with them. And he also says, making no distinction. That distinction there is distinction between Gentile and Jew. Remember, Peter was trained. His first reaction would be, I can't go with them. They're uncircumcised. They're unclean. Holy Spirit says, make no distinction. 
All right? The Holy Spirit also says, go with them. It's interesting, so often when people talk about God telling them something, or, uh, you know, the Lord, there's some still small voice or whatever, they, they kind of say it as though they could be wrong. They know they could be wrong. Um, you know, they, they just kind of throw it out there. Like, I had this instinct, and I'm going to say that it was God who gave me that instinct, but don't hold me to it. It's kind of their presentation of, of how that goes on. The Bible doesn't speak about God speaking that way. When you see God speaking in the Bible, and the Holy Spirit is God, when you see God speaking, there is no question that this is authoritative God talking to me. There would just be no mistaking it. God Himself told me, go with them, therefore I will obey that voice. It's always absolutely certain. And that's a miracle. That's a sign and a wonder that someone would hear directly the authoritative voice of God. If someone comes along in your life and says, God told me this or God told me that, um, they're basically saying God gave me a new page of Scripture because God doesn't talk one way for the Bible and then another way uh, to human beings you know, in the 21st century. It's always authoritative. It's always the same amount of weight when God speaks. Uh, therefore, when we read in Scripture that God told somebody something, it was unmistakable to that person, and Peter knew for sure God told him that. That's a miracle. And then Exhibit D, the fourth thing that I want to show you is in verse 15, it says, As I began to speak, Peter says, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. There's this aspect of the Holy Spirit falling on them, and I want, want us to look back in chapter 10, at the end of chapter 10. forgot to tell you I was going to do that, Tyler. Uh, sorry about that. But at the end of chapter 10, we see uh, what that looked like when the Holy Spirit fell on them. Look at verse um, uh, 45. Verse 45, at the end of chapter 10, it says, The believers from among the circumcised who had gone with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out or the Holy Spirit fell on even the Gentiles. Verse 46, what did that look like? They were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. That's what it looked like. That was the indicator as to them having the Holy Spirit upon them. How on earth could Peter and his, his friends look at them and say, yeah, they have the Holy Spirit? Well, it's because they were manifesting the same signs that the Jews manifested all the way back in Acts chapter 2. And this is the, the point that I want to make here, um, that there was a specific purpose at this first century, the age of the apostles, that specific time. There was a specific purpose for miracles. Um, Think, t- let's take tongues, for example, just the gift of tongues. Tongues are actual languages, and we see them first in Acts chapter 2. If you can think all the way back to Acts chapter 2, the apostles, along with um, some of the women and some others, are praying in the upper room. The Holy Spirit comes into that room and descends on them, rests on them like tongues of flame, like just resting there. And they all begin to utter with other languages, languages that they didn't previously know. 
Now, it was the time of Pentecost in Jerusalem, so Jews from all over were making a pilgrimage to Jerusalem to celebrate this big feast on the Jewish calendar. And these apostles now can go out and proclaim the gospel in these languages that the people understood. The apostles didn't know these languages, but miraculously, the Holy Spirit brought about these languages in their lives, and they spoke them. And the people heard and then got saved. This was evidence that the Holy Spirit was with them and in them, working through them, accomplishing God's goal of spreading the gospel to all nations. All different types of Jews could hear the gospel and be saved because they had the Holy Spirit giving them that particular gift. So uh, it was an amazing event. Then we found out last week the event that Peter's telling his audience about. Last week we find out that as the gospel was preached to the Gentiles, probably uh, they were Aramaic-speaking Gentiles, and it wasn't a big group. It was Cornelius. Oh, camera went off. This is just a, uh, a real, real sharp uh, system we got going on here. As, uh, as the gospel was presented and proclaimed to Cornelius and his kindred and his closest friends, it said, so not a huge group, Pentecost was 3,000 people. This was probably just, I don't know, a dozen. Um, as the gospel was proclaimed there, they received the Holy Spirit, and that was known because they start speaking in other languages. Now, what's the purpose of that? There, weren't, there wasn't a big crowd of people from all kinds of different nations like at Pentecost. Why would those Gentiles be speaking in other languages? Because there's another aspect to what's going on in that tongues were a sign to show that they had received the Holy Spirit. And I hope you see this in the text um, in verse 16, 11, 16. What comes to Peter's mind when he sees them speaking in tongues is what Jesus said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And verse 17, Peter's making the connection of what God is revealing to him. It says, if God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? What's the gift? What's the gift? Well, the gift ultimately is the Holy Spirit. God is showing that the Gentiles can receive the Holy Spirit personally and become temples of God outside of the old covenant system because of the finished work of Jesus. And he's showing that by having the apostles experience this manifestation of tongues and then the Gentiles you know, the apostles were all Jewish, and the Gentiles, none of them were Jewish, having them be uh, speak in tongues, have that manifestation of the Holy Spirit. And so Peter then, seeing that, connects the dots and, say, and says, I see what God's doing. He gave His Spirit to them just like He did to us by them believing in the gospel. By them believing in the gospel. Signs. That's what tongues were. They were signs. And what do signs do? Signs point to things, <laughs> all right? The Bible talks about signs over and over again. Tongues are one of those signs. And what were tongues pointing to? Tongues were pointing to the reality of the gospel going to the nations that it was for all nations now because of what Jesus has done. And, and they, the Gentiles and others were able to speak in those tongues when they received the Holy Spirit by being born again 
by being baptized with the Spirit, uh, by being baptized uh, by God with His Holy Spirit. That's what this was all pointing to, that spirit baptism is something that happens to someone upon believing in the gospel. Okay, do we have any questions at this point, Tyler? No questions. Okay. Oh, we still got plenty of time. Well, let's talk about... Oh, go ahead. Yeah, Walker just had a question. He said, was it the apostles only that they were there the second time they spoke tongues? So, yeah, the second time, which is what we read about in Acts 10, it was just Peter and a few others. Let's look at Acts 10. It wasn't all the apostles, but it was... um, Let's see... Acts chapter 10, do, 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 where does it say this? I was just looking at this earlier today. Um, Back up in verse 23. Um, So it says, Peter invited Cornelius and his two buddies into his house, and the next day Peter rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. There you go. So who all was there as far as non-Gentiles when the Gentiles uh, spoke in tongues? You had Peter, who was a Jew, and then it says uh, some of the brothers from Joppa who were Jewish Christians who were in that city. So it wasn't all the apostles. It was just uh, Peter and those guys. Then it became Peter's responsibility after seeing all of that. Now Peter has to go back to the apostles and say, you guys, I just witnessed something pretty mind-blowing and, and lays it all out. So then Peter was in charge of kind of instructing them in what he learned. Okay, we good there, Tyler? All right. So, um, so again, tongues are pointing to being baptized with the Spirit. And there's a really clear passage in Scripture that talks in detail theologically about what Spirit baptism is. There are lots of people out there who will want to talk to you about Spirit baptism, Lots of people, lots of people that get really fired up about uh, tongues and fired up about all kinds of strange manifestations that they say, manifestations of the Spirit, where they'll get down and bark like dogs, or they'll act like they're drunk, or they will have holy laughter, or they will have holy highs, where it's like they're getting high on marijuana, but they're actually getting high on the Holy Spirit. There are all kinds of strange teachings out there about being baptized with the Spirit. But there's a very clear New Testament passage in the book of Titus. Now, you might not know uh, where Titus is. It's toward the back of your Bible, and it's a tinier book. It's a little three-chapter guy, so you need to kind of slow down when you get back there. If you hit Hebrews, you've gone too far. You need to back up from Hebrews and uh, look at the book of Titus. It's after First and Second Timothy, but before Hebrews. Titus chapter 3, and we're going to look at verses 3 through 7. Titus chapter 3, starting at verse 3, the Apostle Paul writes, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. All right, so... Take all those thoughts about you being a good person before you became a Christian and uh, set them on fire. That's what that verse just did, okay? We were all led astray. But, verse 4, and don't you just love it when you see something pivot like this? Everything was awful. 
But, okay, verse 4, when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Notice that there's nothing in there about tongues. <laughs> there's nothing in there about some particular manifestation that all people in every generation will always show because they were regenerated by the Holy Spirit. There's no talk of that at all in that letter. But the same thing is happening to people today that happened to the Gentiles and the Jews all the way back in the book of Acts. However, those signs that point to those things aren't continuing. So are people still being baptized with the Holy Spirit, being regenerated, being washed by the Holy Spirit? Absolutely they are. Every single person who is genuinely a Christian has been born again, has been baptized with the Holy Spirit. And this is a fulfillment of Acts 1.5. That's what Peter was referencing in, in Acts 11, where Jesus said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. The fulfillment wasn't just in that first century. It keeps happening. It keeps going on. People still get baptized with the Holy Spirit. Another reference for this is 1 Corinthians 12, 12, I believe. I'm almost positive. Uh, But in that section, you've got Paul talking about the church, and he says, all all we who were baptized uh, by the Spirit are one body. And so when do you become a part of the body of Christ? It's when you're baptized with the Holy Spirit. It's not when you're baptized with water, go down in the water and come back up, but it's when you're baptized with the Holy Spirit. And that is evidenced uh, by a person professing Jesus Christ as Lord. The only cure for the sin-enslaved human being is being baptized with the Holy Spirit. So it must continue throughout all generations. But those signs were just for that time because there was a specific purpose. Through tongues, God was teaching Peter and the other Jewish Christians that Gentiles can believe in the gospel and be good with Him on the basis of Christ's finished work. There was no more old covenant for them to keep at that point. So it's being baptized with the Spirit, and being baptized with water is also a a part of this, because if you remember at the end of Acts 10, um, look back again at the end of Acts 10, where it says in verse 46, they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God, and Peter declared, verse 47, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? So you have Peter in Acts 11 saying, This is the fulfillment of uh, Jesus saying they will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. They're speaking in tongues. He says they're baptized with the Holy Spirit. What's the very next thing? Let's dunk them in water. Let's baptize them in water too. And what is water baptism? It's an outward expression of that inward event where the Holy Spirit has entered in and baptized us, washed us, renewed us. So notice the order in all of this. First, the Holy Spirit shows up. He falls on them. The Holy Spirit is there. 
and He enters into their hearts. Secondly, there were signs, the tongues. They, they were manifesting the same signs as in Acts chapter 2. And so it was evident they had received the Holy Spirit. Then thirdly, water baptism. So first, the Holy Spirit comes. Second, there's the sign. Third, it's water baptism. And today, we have the same things except for those signs and those manifestations. God saw fit to have those signs occur in the first century. But in, uh, after the age of the apostles, those signs have faded away. When we look back at our conversion, I would imagine all of us would say, when I first believed, I didn't start speaking another language. That's because God isn't using that sign anymore to teach a lesson to us that the Jew and Gentile divide has been erased. We have, we have moved past that in God's program, and God is no longer uh, employing that sign at every person's conversion. Signs have faded away, but the substance of what the signs pointed to has remained the same and always will remain the same. So are we doing okay on time, Tyler? Or not on time, I was looking at my watch. Uh, questions? No questions. Wow. Start talking about tongues and nobody has any questions. That's crazy. Well, again, I want to remind you, Thursday night, tune in, 7 o'clock. want you to be here, 7 p.m., Thursday night, April 23rd, two nights away. It is uh, 47 hours and about 45 minutes. Uh, or 15 minutes, 45 minutes, 15 minutes, 47 hours and 15 minutes. Tune back in the same way you're tuning in tonight. And once again, right after I say we don't have any questions, Walker has another question. Good old Walker, always reliable. He said, so did the authors of the Bible know that they were writing? Did they know that it was going to be a huge thing? Did the authors of the Bible, say that again? Did they know that they were writing? That they were writing? What does that mean? (laughs) <laughs> you got Walker, we need clarification, brother. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, um, certainly. Uh, because the, the signs and the miracles were so intense, and because um, you know, it was such clear manifestations, I think they absolutely knew. When, for instance, when we read uh, just a few moments ago, Peter said, the Holy Spirit told me to do this, um, to go with them. There was no doubt in his mind that it was the Holy Spirit and that that's exactly what he said. No doubt about those two things. Um, and so, yeah, to me, they, they knew. They knew. Absolutely. All right, third thing. We'll finish up with this. Uh, God grants repentance to some people, but not others. Ooh. Let's look at this, just verse 18. Verse 18, what we'll finish with tonight. It says, When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. So the audience now comes back into the picture. Remember at the beginning I was talking about Peter's audience. These were Jewish men really fired up about the Torah, really committed to the Old Covenant, and Peter's explaining to them how God has saved some individuals outside of the Old Covenant. Big paradigm shift. They've been sitting here listening to Peter tell this, this story about what happened. They've heard this from Peter's mouth, basically. Not these exact words, but this exact theme that there's, the divide has been taken away in Jesus. Wow. 
And they've heard about miracles, about the purpose of miracles, that Peter, in witnessing them speak in tongues, he now understands they have the gift of the Holy Spirit also. They're hearing this. And so they say, this audience who's sitting there, they say, we need to shut up. We need to quit barking at Peter. It says they fell silent and they glorified God. What an amazing statement. Yeah, Tyler. Yeah, Dean wants to know why isn't it so obvious when somebody receives the Holy Spirit today? Well, um, that question assumes some things. Um, that assumes that uh, there aren't obvious changes when, when someone believes. And that's sometimes the case and not always the case. There will be people who receive the Holy Spirit, as the Gentiles did, and will have an immediate manifestation of the Holy Spirit, not in speaking in another language, certainly not in babbling um, or acting like an animal or something like that, but it's manifested in a radical change of lifestyle. Some of the, the people nearest and dearest to my heart, uh, my, my own family and my closest friends, they've had those experiences where it's been a radical change, absolutely radical, where they were in prison when they received the Lord and their life was totally different. They were addicted to drugs. They were um, drunks or whatever, and God totally turned them around. Uh, now, that doesn't always happen. Uh, there will be sometimes, particularly uh, in, for children raised in Christian homes. Uh, for instance, uh, yesterday, um, my oldest son was having a conversation with my wife, and really sounded like he believes in the gospel. I mean, he's really able to articulate the, the key elements at play there. Am I going to see a radical change in a six-year-old's life? Am I going to see an obvious about-face uh, in a person's habits when he's six years old and he's grown up in a Christian context? No, I'm not. Uh, I'm not. Life's really not going to look any different from that moment forward to the naked eye. However, what we do see is the, the works that God has prepared beforehand, that person will walk in them. We will start seeing that. We will start seeing fruit. This is Jesus' illustration over and over and over again. A good tree bears good fruit. So when God takes one of us bad trees, causes us to be born again, and He makes a good tree out of it, you're going to start seeing that good fruit. Now, because we live in a fallen world and it's, there's just sin tangled in everything, twisted in everything, that we in and of ourselves can't do anything pure, it's going to be really confusing. There will be people who are believers that really look like they're not, and there are going to be people who hate God, who look like they love God. And that's going to be very, very complicated for us, and we need discernment in that. Um, but that, the bottom line is that God calls His people to holiness, and so if we don't see an obvious change when someone receives the Holy Spirit, um, then we should call them to those changes uh, based on God's Word. Um, but if someone, you know, if there's no miraculous sign that someone does, you might have some Pentecostals saying, well, that person didn't really receive the Holy Spirit because I didn't see a miraculous sign or wonder done in his life. Well, we understand uh, that God has not continued performing those miraculous signs, and so we won't see those types of obvious effects. Is that the only one? Okay. Um, so going back to this idea that the, uh, Peter's audience recognized 
that God granted repentance to the Gentiles, that they shut up, they fell silent, it said, and they glorified God. We need to understand that this is the way that salvation has always worked, that God has always been the designer of salvation. God has always been the initiator of salvation. God has always been the one who effectually realizes salvation in the life of any human being. It's always been a work of God leading a a human created in His image to faith, leading someone to faith. We think all the way back to Abraham, and it says that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Why did he believe God? Because God was initiating in his life. Where was Abraham when he was called? He was out being a pagan, just like all the other pagans. And God says, that one, for my own glory, come on. And he drew him along. He initiated it. He designed the salvation and effectually realized the salvation in Abraham's life. And because of Abraham's faith, he had righteousness. Uh, Over and over again throughout the whole Old Testament, it was all about faith, faith in Yahweh and the coming Messiah. And now, of course, it's about faith in the finished work of Jesus. Peter's audience, being devoutly Jewish, but also believers in the Messiah, Jesus Christ, um, they knew that God was the one who initiated salvation. They knew their Old Testament. They knew that, um, you know, who was Noah but a guy that God chose? Who was Abraham? Just a guy that God chose for God's own purposes and God's own glory. Who, they knew all of that uh, from reading their Old Testament. And so their framework was never, um, we're all on a level playing field and it's up to us to make the first step toward God. That was not their approach to Scripture. They were always thinking, God is the one who's granting this in people's lives. And so when they hear about the Gentiles and they can't argue with the fact that God has given His Spirit to the Gentiles, their response isn't, oh, good for the Gentiles for choosing God and getting that Holy Spirit. Their response was, wow, God has decided for His own purposes and His own glory to grant repentance to the Gentiles that leads to life. That was the way they processed that information from Peter. Very important to think through it the way they would think through it. We have to understand that God is absolutely free to choose where His Spirit goes. All right? So if if you're having a hard time with this sentence, and I know this sentence it could really come across kind of harsh to you, that God grants repentance to some, but not not all, not everybody. That can come across really harsh. But how does repentance come about? Well, it's through being baptized with the Spirit, through being regenerated, right? That's how repentance comes about in our lives. How could we ever turn from sin apart from the Holy Spirit? How could we ever turn from sin and embrace the cross of Christ apart from the Holy Spirit in our lives. We can't do that by our own power. And so God's granting of repentance is directly tied to the sending of His Spirit. And God is free to send His Spirit wherever He chooses. He is not beholden to man who says, I want your Spirit, give Him to me. But God is absolutely free. We can come to Scripture with this preconceived notion that man is completely free and God must react to man. That's not so. God is absolutely free. 
God is absolutely free, and man must respond to God. That's what we see in Scripture. God is the free one. He is able to do whatever He pleases. Our God sits in the heavens and does whatever He pleases. And so man's role, much like these uh, people that were with Peter, man's role is to fall silent and glorify God. (laughs) Fall silent and glorify God. And I want us to think about this um, by considering how repentance uh, that leads to life works. So if we were to start with um, God being absolutely free, we recognize that um, all things that occur in this world begin with God's will. starts with God's will. If He's the free one, it starts with His will. Not our will, but His will, because He's the free one. All right? Now, God's will... For some, according to verse 18, is for uh, there to be repentance. Repentance for some. And that repentance, according to verse 18, let me move this here, that repentance leads to life. God has a free will, and in that free will, He grants repentance out of His will, He grants repentance leading to life. So if you're struggling, <clears throat> I can probably move this all the way out of the way now. So if you're struggling with this statement, God grants repentance to some but not others, just take this and think backwards. Do all people have life? Do all people have life? No, they don't. Why don't all people have life? Because they haven't repented. And why haven't they repented? Because it wasn't God's will for them to repent in the sense that He is the one who gives repentance. Now, um, does God desire for, uh, sin to, um, for sin to be done away with completely? Well, yes, but we have to be careful how we think about that because we can easily jump into this dualistic kind of mindset that it's God versus sin or God, good versus evil, like these two eternal entities that are battling each other. That's not the case. God is the one who alone is God, who exists outside of all time and space. God is the only one. So we have to consider that all the evil and sin that happens in the universe is under God's control and under God's authority. He's not the author of that sin. He's not the the one who has willed it into being in the sense that um, he desires for there to be evil in the world uh, because he loves evil. God hates evil. However, God is still sovereign over evil. And, and this is something you're going to wrestle with your whole life. But when we see passages like God has granted repentance to some, to the Gentiles, that means that there are certain people that out of God's will He desires for them to repent, and He grants them repentance. And for others, God is perfectly pleased to leave them in their state. Okay? All right, Tyler, what do you got? All right, got a question from Stacy, and then another one from Peyton after. Okay. Uh, Stacy asked, so are you saying that there are times when God doesn't grant repentance to believers, or um, is this just speaking of unbelievers? Yeah, I probably ended up clarifying it after she typed it, I would imagine. It's... Um, just to, un- we're just talking right now in the context of unbelievers, the initial repentance that leads to, to life. Yep. All right. And then this is maybe a, a 
broad question, too broad to answer fully tonight, but what did the Gentiles believe in before Peter and Paul came along? Uh, well, it's a myriad of things. It's kind of like today. What do people who um, are not Christians believe in? And you kind of have a wide range of things, don't you? Uh, just, you know, for instance, you could be dealing with some version of Gnosticism uh, today, which is the idea that certain people have a special knowledge that other people don't have. Um, you might be dealing with some other form of heresy or maybe some polytheistic religion. You think of all the uh, you know, Hinduism has existed for a really long time, and we have to imagine that early on there were probably some people from Asia who were Hindus or Buddhists who were converted because those are really old uh, false religions. And so it's a really wide gamut there um, that really you, you can't pin down because there were so many people who would uh, travel through that area and so many different types of pagans. So, okay. All right, so I hope that in tonight's study you see how um, the signs that were happening, particularly tongues, how those taught the Jews what was going on. I hope you see that, that in, in the book of Acts, we're not picking up on a bunch of game notes for us uh, to go out and start trying to speak in other languages, like that's what God wants us to do. That's not what we're seeing in the book of Acts. Instead, we are seeing God using those signs uh, using tongues with a very specific purpose to teach them a very specific lesson. And I hope you see, too, that once the foundation laid by the apostles and prophets was there, that there was no need for those signs to continue. After this uh, apostolic era, where you've got Peter, James, John, Paul, all those guys, after you have their lives uh, coming to an end, we have the Jew and Gentile divide a race. The church is being built. We have a, a better understanding in, among first century Christians about what God is doing so that He's not needing to uh, show them over and over again through these miraculous signs that the Gentiles also receive the Holy Spirit. But particularly through Paul, we get very clear instruction from Scripture as to what God has done. Ephesians 2 addresses this, Ephesians 3 addresses this in really great detail. So I would encourage you to read those two, and I hope you recognize if you have Ephesians 2 and 3 and you read through those, you do not need tongues anymore if you accept Ephesians 2 and 3 as authoritative Scripture. You do not need tongues as a sign because Scripture clearly indicates what's going on in the church, all right? Still no questions? Okay, well, we will go ahead and close in prayer. Oh, yeah, was there uh, an announcement that I was... Thursday night at 7 o'clock, Thursday at 7 p.m., uh, right here, same way you're watching this, at 7 o'clock on Thursday, I want you to uh, tune in because we've got a lot of stuff for you Thursday night, and we encourage your participation to ask questions. We're going to announce big things at the beginning, and we want you to ask questions about it that we can answer on the spot right then and there. Say that again. I still didn't understand what you said. Q oh, yeah, yeah. You can ask questions ahead of time. That was the, that's what Tyler was saying. You could have just unmuted your mic and said it to them. Uh, so, yeah, you can uh, send in questions ahead of time too, like maybe from this study. You're at work tomorrow or whatever. You're doing something tomorrow and then it hits you. Oh, yeah, what about this? Send that question in and we'll talk about it uh, on Thursday night, okay? Let, let me pray for us and then we'll uh, get going with the rest of our evening. 
Father, thank you so much again for tonight, for your word. Thank you for your instruction for us and the way that you glorify yourself through your truth. We ask that you would give us a passion for truth, not only to understand it, but to live it. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.